Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. With a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere. Used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A star-filled sky was once our evening entertainment, but now it's Netflix, iPads, Bluetooth, whatever. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Og, and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. And tonight, I'm really privileged to have two close friends, actually, join us to have a bit of a conversation about Norway and polar nights. And I'd really like to introduce you to Sophia and Kelly. And Sophia, I might get you to introduce yourself a little bit and just tell us why you joined a dark sky traveller trip up to Norway. Yeah, sure. Hi, Marnie. Good evening. Um, No, I got to know Fred through some... Uh, work that we did together and um, this is Fred Watson my Fred partner. Watson sorry mm-hmm. Fred yeah. Watson, mm-hmm. at large <laughs> um, through some work we did together and he spoke about these trips that Dark Sky Traveller you and Fred um, were taking going to amazing places and I thought oh, one day I am going to come on one of them and also top of my list of travel wants bucket list if you want to call it that is the northern lights and so dark sky travel put on a northern lights tour and i thought i am in i'm doing this so um yeah end of 2019 um jetted off with my friend kelly here and you two and eight other lovely guests um over to well met in oslo but then flew up to alta top of norway for the start of our trip on boxing day yeah yeah Mm. And Kel, how did you get involved in all of this? Well, I just got back from a trip with my husband and um, the next, very next day happened to be my birthday and so he picked me up and in the car on the way to the restaurant, she said, how would you like to see the Northern Lights at the end of the year? And considering that it had been on my bucket list forever, I jumped at the idea. I actually did not even speak about it with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I've always wanted to go up to Scandinavia and so this was just the perfect opportunity to tick something else off of something that I, a list that I really wanted to do. So I was very excited about it. Well, I was just purely a tag along. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Um, So when you got to the Northern Lights, so we met in Oslo, but then we flew up to Alta and it was the 28th of December and I think we had two and a half hours of light. What were your initial thoughts? Well, for me, um, this was, again, one of those things that was really attracting me to travelling in the area. So I knew it was going to be freezing cold and I had never experienced cold like that. Um, I'd never had to do the layers, the the rugging up, the thermals. So this was a whole new experience for me. Um, 
the weather conditions and obviously the limited darkness. That was one of the things that really intrigued me about going up there to find out what it was like. Um, and so I guess for me, um, obviously it's hideously annoying being in a country where it's dark most of the time because it really limits your ability to see things. So, I mean, that was a downside. But also it gives you a real sense of like the fact that people compensate for that. So those beautiful lights in all of the windows, which you think are Christmas lights, but they're actually just lights to let people know, you know, as they're travelling through the darkness that there's people out there. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was an absolutely lovely kind of tradition that everyone had. Um, and the fact that um, in the middle of the day there was light of a sort but um, not sunlight, this kind of, as you described it, a twilight, I mean, that in itself, um, that was interesting that your body's telling you in the middle of the day that it should be bright light and then it's suddenly it's just this twilight and you know that that's as bright as it's going to get and just for a short period. Um, so I learned to enjoy those hours so that when you're actually looking at something, you can see like the beautiful mm. landscapes and what's going on around you. So, mm. yeah, I... Um, I thought it was just really interesting to experience it. I mean, I wonder, still wonder how people do it for long periods of time because the two and bit weeks or whatever that we were experiencing it, that was enough for me. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm glad that I did. It was an, it's just another one of those kind of cultural immersion um, experiences that you get when you travel. So, mm. yeah. yeah, interesting. What about you, Sophia? What were your... Yeah, I was, I was quite anxious about it. I guess growing up as a bit of a typical Aussie kid, um, living in Adelaide, so long summer days where you'd be out all day and you'd come in at 9 o'clock at night, you know. And, and you were coming from summer. You were coming from the yeah, height of summer. Summer, that's right. And I actually recall that you took a photo of the sun. I did. So that you could remember what it looked like while you were travelling. I did. I yeah. did. It was yeah. funny like that. For about a week before we left, I um, made sure I went to the beach every day and just sort of soaked up rays and the, the brightness. Um, and yeah, took some nice photos on my phone because I really, I was pretty sure that it that it would affect me, and it did. Um, yeah. How so? Um, yeah, similar to Kel, I guess, um, in a way. I'm maybe a little different from Kel. I'm very much a morning person, um, so I have always uh, woken up usually before the sun, and so um, in the morning, um, getting up and doing some exercise or going for a walk and seeing the sunrise has been a part of my day for many years. Um, and so I knew not being able to do that would probably have an impact on me. Um, I love the colour of the sky in the morning here for sunrise um, and, and just the process of it getting light. I think it's a really beautiful time of the day. Um, so I was pretty sure it would. And so over there um, when we were up... Um, near Alter, um, it's pretty close to 70 degrees north. <coughs> and um, so, yeah, it didn't get light until about um, 8.30 in the morning. There was 
beautiful hues of indigo and purple, um, just the most amazing colour, a really different sunrise colour than here. But of course, the sun didn't rise. It um, stayed purple for a bit and then got a little bit lighter. Um, by, by sort of 10 o'clock, it was lighter, but it wasn't properly turned up light because, of course, you knew where you thought the sun was going to come up, but it didn't ever actually come up. No, just <laughs> remained below the horizon. Remained below the horizon. So, um, yeah, we probably had three hours of daylight, something like that, four hours maybe. Um, so th that was beautiful, the sunrise. I think for me, it being pitch black by three o'clock in the afternoon is probably where it really got me. Um, so I, I just it made the afternoon so long and, um, you know, and it just made me really tired not having the light. Um, so the whole melatonin production thing was definitely a thing for me. Um, and I did, I felt, couldn't quite put my finger on it, but just generally fatigued beyond jet lag um, where you just didn't have much energy to do too much. And, mm. um yeah, you you know, I can see how people drink more there. So by 3.30 in the afternoon, you're ready for sundowners because even though the sun didn't come up, <laughs> it feels like it's, you know, early evening and you're ready for a meal and, you know, getting to that end of the day and it's not, it's only 3.30. So, mm. yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the fact that we were there for Christmas and one of the things that I really appreciated was just how... Christmas suddenly had a new meaning. Mm. Like these little tiny warm amber lights suddenly felt so much more appealing and the, the, the concept of having something that would draw you to them at this very dark period of, of night. Did you have that same sort of feeling? Yes, definitely. When we landed in, um, so we went straight from Adelaide and picked stuff over on, in Doha on the way and then landed in Oslo and um, went straight that evening to the main square in Oslo. And, of course, they had the big Christmas market with the ice skating rink in the middle of the square and um, the Ferris wheel. And, and glue vine. And glue vine. <laughs> wine. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the Ferris wheel and the, and the carousel and... Yeah, it sort of made me think it's so similar to in our um, Christmas holidays and January vacation time where people are on summer holidays and those fairground sort of show rides go to all of our main beach areas and people are there enjoying it and, and there we are on the other side of the world. The same sort of thing but so different. Um, yeah, with all the fairy lights and I agree, just all that the lighting was just so pretty and welcoming and Christmassy, yes. Um, there was snow everywhere and not the normal Christmas that you think of. <laughs> and yeah. not, not canned yeah. snow, but actually real <laughs> snow. Yeah. So, mm. so, yeah, just that epitome of, you know, the Christmas card look it was. It was very pretty, yeah. And for me there was no, it was actually... I mean, I spent my whole life looking at lights, obviously. You know, everywhere I go I'm, I'm looking at, you know, whether they're dark sky compliant or... Mm or not but the thing for me was that everywhere we looked it was very very rare to find a light that was a blue light or a green light yeah. it was really just these warm amber hugue yeah. lights yeah. that made you feel comfortable did you have the yeah. same impression kelly or 
Um, well, that's actually something that I've noticed since I've been back, to be honest. Um, you know, as I um, mentioned while we were away, I, the dark sky concept was a brand new one to me. And, um, and so it wasn't really until um, you gave your presentation one night about light and how it affects us and you know some of those those concepts that I, I really started thinking about and then I listened to an earlier episode of your podcast where oh thank you <laughs> you must have been that one person yeah <laughs> where um uh you were talking with someone about you know illumination and what that means and um and it really got me that got me thinking um, when I was over there. But now I'm very conscious of the fact that um, even when we were inside over there, as you say, every light was really mellow and warm and cosy. Whereas over here, the, you know, the lights were all really harsh and white. And I spend 10 or 11 hours a day in an office with disgusting lighting and, so I, um, I, I really do notice how harsh and kind of uncomfortable the light here is compared to the lighting over there. Um, having said that, though, I was wondering, and I've been thinking back now again, that whether that kind of mellow lighting really exacerbated the fact that my sleeping pattern went totally out the window because I'm the total opposite of so I'm a night owl and so it's not uncommon for me to you know go to bed but still be awake at you know 11 or midnight whereas over um, when we were away I was ready to bed at seven like that was <laughs> that was a stretch <laughs> and it was this real physical tiredness and um and so it was like whether there was no cue and like you know again waking up in the dark in the morning I was waking up much earlier than I ever did before so whether that was um just the fact I was going to bed earlier or um or what was going on but um I, the, I don't think that that really kind of mellow low lighting helped at all even though you know your idea of a um, seven o'clock in the morning, make sure that you turn your light Every on. Every light in the hotel room <laughs> got turned on. You know, to hell, I still just don't think that it just wasn't kind of that bright light. Yeah. And I, I think there's a few things that we can tap, tap in on there. So one of the people that I spend probably stalking <laughs> and who I will hope to have on as a podcast uh, uh, conversationalist in a few weeks' time is a gentleman called Dr. Sean Kane. And when he does his presentations to a conference group, he actually turns all the lights up, up full in the conference room just simply so that his, uh, his recipients for his lecture don't actually fall asleep. And he recognises that the importance of the of, of white blue light during the middle of the day as our trigger to keep us happy, and uh, so the, as a, as an antidepressant, in so far as that. But he also he was the one that suggested that when he is in a place such as we were, that he would turn up all the lights 
at seven o'clock every morning because that was his normal pattern. At seven o'clock he would wake up, all the lights would go on and then he would keep them on full bore until whatever period of time he wants to be there for. <laughs> so it is interesting and I think particularly interesting when we talk about Australians going to somewhere like Norway. So had we come from the UK where we don't really ever get that brilliant bright blue sky with a, a light intensity that is pretty unsurpassed anywhere around the world, we may not have felt that, that, that adjustment quite so severely. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm, as I keep telling everybody, I just, I just uh, recite everything else that I hear. But I, I, I was particularly interested when I watched people reacting to the lack of light. Uh, and, and partly because I know how susceptible I am. You know, mm -hmm. If I don't have that sunrise, if I don't have that blue sky, if I don't have, if I have three days of grey clouds, you know, even yes. with that high intensity light that sort of comes through the clouds and it shines really piercingly, I still don't feel fulfilled. I want more. Yeah. yeah. You can't quite put your finger on it, but yeah. yes. I, mm. I, yeah. mm. Saying that it's a beautiful light in a way. Um, I remember we went out whale watching one day up when we were up at Lingen Ford and, um, yeah, it was, uh, the whales were great, but I guess being Aussie kids that we are, whale, whale, but uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say it like that. But Well, we did have one participant that had never seen a whale in her life before. And she, <laughs> she wasn't disappointed. She wasn't. There many whales. Um, but I, I was just totally intrigued by, by the being out on the water and the sky and um, and again just that hue of the dark grey blue and um, I I saw it and when I look back at the photos on my phone it's the same it is like when you put one of those colour washes on your phone camera that makes it a different colour mm, sepia wash or something sepia sepia is the brown one I think but mm. there are others on there that are that those dark colours you know and it's just like this monochrome wash over the top and that's exactly what it was like you know um very it makes me think of the nordic noir series <laughs> been on and um yeah at one stage a flock of seabirds flew over obviously chasing the whales and it was a bit spooky <laughs> because you just did really see that light and the dark birds and the dark heaving ocean that we were in uh, in a fjord but still it was um it was pretty choppy. So, yeah, it was um, really scenic from that point of view. Mm. And I guess so different from so Australia. Different. Mm. So different. Just mm. as different as you can get. That's exactly right with that light. Mm. So have you heard of seasonal adjustment disorder? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Do you feel that you could have slipped into that if you'd been there any longer? So we should explain for, the, for our audience, seasonal adjustment disorder is a recognised uh, state of mind, I guess, for people in northern Arctic particularly, who seem to suffer from this lack of light. And the cure is actually literally putting yourself in front of a harsh white, white blue light for up to 45 minutes per day to actually uh, reorientate your melatonin, they say and make you feel happier but uh, did you could you uh, I guess my question is really 
I was questioning all the time, how do people live in this? You know, we've got 10 days up here. Did you have the same sort of question? Exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, I, I had a real admiration for um, mm. the people that we met that lived up there. Um, the fact that they dealt with this, you know, every year. And, I mean, you know, some of them clearly live up there because they prefer it and they like the environment and, you know, and even though it wasn't, we were getting complaints that it wasn't as cold as it should have been um, while we were there. So they're obviously drawn to the area for their own reasons. But, um, yeah, I admire them that they can do it year in, year out. I was at the edge when we left and, you know, and it made me when we were on the plane and we saw the sun. Yes. I will never forget Sophia going, there it is, there it is, as we flew south and the sun came up over the horizon. That's right. <laughs> once, we'd re- once we'd got to cruising altitude, if yeah. we could see it. Yeah. <laughs> right. it and you were mesmerised by it, weren't we you? It was. It was. Mm. I didn't see. I mean, what a bizarre concept! Not seeing the sun for two weeks, like it's. It is. And not because of the rain, but just literally. Not because of the rain. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah. It's just the like for us. I think it is just the, the weirdest concept. Us living in Australia. Um, so yes, I was excited. If I lived, I would be very affected. I, I. I guess it's hard to say how you would be if you grew up with it, and then it would be different. But um. Yeah, I I was like, I was ready to see the sun by the end. I I can only imagine what it's like for them on the day in their town when the sun does come back up over the horizon. And to me, that would be like Christmas Day. I would Probably just... like you were on the plane. Exactly. <laughs> so it would be mm. such a build up to it, I think, if you lived there and you knew, you know, on the 16th of February, it comes back up every year or whatever your date is. Um, I think, yeah, it would be big anticipation. <laughs> mm. So the, there's a town that I know and I can't remember, I think it's somewhere near the Flam, which is further south in Norway. Uh, and the Flam is a fairly uh, notorious train line that goes up this steep mountain. But there's a, there's a village not far from that that all throughout winter never gets to see even indirect sun because Mm -hmm. it's in a very steep valley. And the community about three years ago put mirrors on both sides of the mountains so that the sunlight would actually get deflected off the the mirrors and into the city so that they could actually just get some sort of sunlight ray. Good thinking. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that, would, I think that would be even more frustrating <laughs> if you knew that it was there, but it's just been to hike to the to top not of the coming mountain. down. Like, yeah, <laughs> you've got some huge mountains and and, and precipices yeah. in in Norway that are stunning to look at, but they're also <laughs> impeding you your. See them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, just taking the conversation a little bit to the left, we were very lucky to see a rather unusual phenomena mm, while we were there. Yeah. And I think I'll get you to explain it, Sophia, because you oh. described it so brilliantly on the bus when you were clapping um, your hands in joy. Yes. <laughs> well, we should start with um, our, we because of the cloudy weather, we didn't we didn't we saw auroras on a couple of nights, which were beautiful. Um, they were stunning. Um, but we didn't 
we didn't see an aurora every night just just because that's nature. But um, what we did get to see is um, what's called polar stratospheric clouds. Um, and they're, they're known as pearl clouds, but they are apparently just a lot more rare than, um, than auroras. Auroras are sort of everyday kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, auroras are every second night, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas um, these polar stratospheric clouds are, you know, they, they may go years without seeing them. And we were lucky enough to see them. So up in, um, well, the best we saw them were up in Abisko National Park in Sweden, close to the border with Norway. And um, they were just simply stunning. Um, yeah, that the colours were like a, per it's even hard to describe, but effectively the clouds are so high up in the stratosphere that they capture or they are in the, the sun's rays, the light. Um, so even though the light doesn't come above the horizon at that location, these clouds are catching the light and um, give off this pearl colour. So it's like a uh, mother of pearl, mother of shell pearl. in the yeah. sky, wasn't uh, it? They were just beautiful. Mm. Um, and so yes, I nicknamed them daylight auroras, um, mm. which they yeah they were just just so beautiful. The colours. Um, Every colour there was. Very intense and very, very stationary, actually. Very they were just like pearls in the sky. That's they? right. Yeah, mm. less changing than the, um, the nighttime. Mm. Um, yeah, so that will stay with me for a long time. Um, they, were, they were really beautiful. And they, they photographed well too, so that was very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> no, if you have any photos, maybe we can post them to the yeah, website. Yeah, we so should put one up so people can see it. That's a good idea. And we had a, a brief visit to the Swedish Institute of Space where we had a climatologist talk to us about what they really were. And he mentioned in my limited scientific understanding that these were basically a reflection of carbon, fluorocarbons in the, in the, in the, in the atmosphere. Mm. So whilst as they were as beautiful they were actually a sign of yes. negative impact of, yes. of humans on the atmosphere, really. But, yes. uh, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, one of So having been up there in polar nights and been a little bit influenced potentially by what I discussed and, and my thoughts, et cetera, about lighting, have you come back with a new understanding of light and perhaps something that you'd like others to know about the effects of light on our environment? It's definitely made me more aware of it. So um, definitely made me more aware of how many street lights there are and how unnecessary it is, how many lights there are in a room. Um, and um, and just more aware of um, how that actually impacts what you can see at night. Um, I haven't actually tried to convert anyone else on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is not part of the, the holiday criteria. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I have I have let other people know that might be interested about. Um, your podcast so that they can pick um, the topics that they might want to educate themselves on. Um, I actually really think that you, the, um, the half an hour presentation or whatever that you gave us 
um, you should put that up as a webinar or something. Because that was just a really good, just general overview of um, why it's important and why we should be thinking about it. And um, yeah, so um, I've definitely noticed it more. I'm more aware, like I said, just even sitting in the office, it's like, wow, there is a lot of light around here and more aware of when there is an absence of kind of natural light around as well. So, um, interesting comment you make about natural light. Yeah. And actually, I was reading a poem by Yeats the other day, and he mentions so W.B. Yeats in, from Ireland. And I can't remember the rest of the poem, but he says, I would embroider you a cloth of the heavens that, that showed the light of the day, the light of the night, and the light of the twilight. And it made me realise how we've lost twilight, actually. We don't consider twilight anymore. We sort of just go from daylight, then we just put more and more lights in our day so that we lose that, and then we just have night. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. No, that is, that is a good point. And hmm. um, I have to, the whole um, trip, though, has made me also very interested to go back um, when it's the opposite. So... Hmm when there is equally lots and lots of light for long periods of time, mm. um, just to see what that is like as well, that it gets to, you know, 11 o'clock at night or whatever and there's still... Two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. It is interesting because I was going to say that when we were talking before about how do these people live in polar nights where they could be, I mean, if you live in Greenland, you could be getting four and a half months of pitch black. Mm -hmm. But then the other part of the year is four and a half months of nothing but daylight. Yeah. And, and those extremes, as far as I know, haven't really even been studied properly in, in scientific research. Yeah, I find that amazing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that it hasn't been well studied when the impact has to be so large on a population, like on an individual scale. You know, it, it is known that it's a disorder. Like you say, it's a recognised disorder. And it's amazing that really we haven't studied it much. You know, mm. yeah. I guess there's small populations. Maybe yeah. they're difficult destinations, although yeah. we got there easily enough. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Mm. And I guess the other question I have just as we start to finish up, though, is because after you left us, you went on to Iceland and you would have seen a substantial change in the hours of daylight that you were getting. I think it almost changes by 10 to 15 minutes each day. Yes. By the time of the day that you were, by the time of the year that you were there. Mm. So did you realise that too? Did you really feel that incremental change as you were in Iceland? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for me, I was just, yeah, extreme. I was, I was much happier. Yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt. Not that I wasn't happy on your trip, Marnie. Oh, my gosh. We no, to... no. You were... But it was like that it, that untouchable, yeah. you can't quite put your finger on it. And it, it was most definitely the darkness that did it for me. So having some light back, albeit shorter days, um, yeah, for me was wonderful. Yeah. 
Yes. Mm. I mean, it's, it's what I said at the beginning of the, the my intro is that we can change moods. We can change yes. our, and yes. we don't realise how much it's changing us. It absolutely, very. That that for me the big thing is like really realising how subliminal our lighting um, cues are. I guess during our day, like a whole, you know, go a whole day and just little innate things and where the where the the sun in the sky is and how that makes us feel. There's, you know, the circadian rhythm, it's well recognised, but um, it was amazing how, how it is very strong. Yes, very mm. strong thing. So. Kel, did you want to add anything there or you're fine? Um, no, I think, um, it's, I mean, I, we were commenting like, you know, oh, it's, you know, nine o'clock and the sun's up thumbs up and oh my god it's still light and it's you know half past three or yeah something <laughs> so it was definitely noticeable mm -hmm. um and um yeah I guess you know I was thinking about it I had more energy yes. probably for the wrong part of the trip because <laughs> you know in Iceland there's a lot of traveling to get places so we spend a lot of time sitting in a car but um yeah, I I did notice the difference. I definitely noticed the difference when I came home. Like, yes. It was, oh, I'm back to normal now. And it mm. takes long for sleep patterns to return and for just normal, just a normal flow of, you know, life you and, know. you know, the way that your body feels yes. um, to come back. It was, I was surprised at how quickly I yes. switched back on. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Do you have one outstanding memory of the trip, whether it be about light or not? Do you have something that you take away from you, whether it be being in the dark or being in the light mm. or not related at all? Oh, um, I have definitely told everyone that they need to put Scandinavia on their must-travel list. It was just... Um, you know, I've said this um, to other people. I'm not normally one for um, kind of um, landscapes mm. and looking, you know, out of the window. But I have to say I was absolutely mesmerised the whole time that we were away. Yes. Um, stark landscapes, the snow-covered landscapes, it was all so foreign to me because mm. I have not had much experience with the snow. Mm. Um I still, that's the first thing that I tell people mm. about the trip is just how gorgeous it is, how gorgeous the environment is. Mm. Um, and for me, the the other thing that I just absolutely adored was just being in proper snowy landscape. Mm. I mean, every time there was the smallest little bit of snow, I was the kind of one running around without my being on so that I could, you know, fully experience what it was, what it was like and... <laughs> You know, um, including the blizzard while you were snow trekking. Oh God, yeah, let's not go there. That but you know, as horrible as that experience was on so many levels, again, it was another way to experience snow because snow is not always nice and friendly. Snow hurts. <laughs> so, those little snow bullets in your face when it gets windy, yeah, it's not pleasant. <laughs> Um, yeah. It was an extreme storm. I wasn't. I, I started that walking trip with you, but walked back with someone who didn't feel they could make it. And even then, we were still pelted with 
snow blizzards. So, yeah, it was. Yeah. But that's just all part of the experience. So, you know, uh, I was, yes, even though that was not the most enjoyable part of our trip, I was glad that I did it still. So, <laughs> my favourite days. <laughs> And that's why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> what was it for you, Sophia? What was your oh, takeaway? I'm to be honest, those landscapes, that fjord country up there, it's just, yeah, it is just, I think, similar to the light day discussion, it's just so different from what we have here. I, I love our big sky country, but um, the fjords, um, the water, um, the mountains, yeah, all of that was spectacular. And, yeah, I do, it, it did, the light did, or the lack of light did really affect me. So I did take away that and um, an appreciation of, you know, what we have here and I guess my connection to the day and light and also an appreciation of what those, you know, what the locals do do because I think, um, you know, even growing up in it, I still think the reality is it will, it will affect you. So um, they, they do things lovely, Lola, like we talked about the lighting that they do and they do have that sense of very being very welcome and um, welcoming to people and guests and um, particularly in the dark, darker times of the year, I think they, um, they really make an effort um, on that so yeah no it was I, I think there's also that that level of for me and maybe this is because I was organizing the tour but that that necessity to have to be flexible to what nature's giving you yes and yeah. having been an event organizer in Australia where we seem to have to control the environment so that you know, the weather's going to be perfect and we're all going to be perfectly dry and we're never going to get wet and we're never going to have those harsh impacts of snow bullets in our face. <laughs> but in many ways, it's those little difficulties that actually make us stronger and take away those memories that we wouldn't otherwise have had. Yeah, that they yes. are dreams again and mm -hmm. then the things you remember. Yeah. yeah. I mean, slipping and sliding around the Arctic Zoo. <laughs> Even that in itself was, you know, that was just okay. If you want to get out and you want to see things, there's going to be ice and you have to learn to do mm. with it. And we should explain to our audience that this is, an, this is an Arctic Zoo where they have Arctic foxes and elk and... What else did they have there? They had um, pumas, not pumas. That was the equivalent, yeah. anyway. Yeah, and 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 this this beautiful little valley is literally down the bottom of a whole lot of mountains. But the day we went there, it had it had it had frozen and then thawed and frozen and thawed, and so we were basically on an ice skating rink with you know <laughs> precipices that went up and down and up and down. So going down the mountain, you basically went down on your bottom and going up. <laughs> <laughs> they were clawing the way up. Yeah. But it, it, you're right. It's all part of being out in nature. Mm. That's right. And so, and when we got to Iceland, which by its very name is extremely icy. And so even just walking around some of those towns, it was just, it was really, how am I going to get to where I need to go? Because <laughs> there's a big patch of ice in front of me and I need to get across it. So mm. whereas this is just, the you know the fact of life that over there they have to buy shoes with spikes on them or wear crampons you know and they have to learn to deal with this and, and they get exceptionally spikes. good at walking on slippery yeah, surfaces exactly. that's right yeah, I know. <laughs> 
it actually made me realise how much of a nanny state in some ways Australia has become that we have to have perfectly straight sidewalks and, yes. yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm. But <laughs> that said, that's what travel opens your eyes to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to wind us up there and thank you very much for your time because I think we've covered a whole lot of different things that people wouldn't normally experience in Australia. Yes. And just my takeaway memory from it all is watching all my passengers experience this something so different, mm-hmm. not just the ice and snow, not just the monochrome mm-hmm. environment that was black and white, mm-hmm. and but just the way they were experiencing the world from a daylight perspective as well. The dark and night, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much. I very much appreciate your time and I'll leave you there and hope that you can travel one time again on another Dark Sky Traveller tour. There you go. Thanks, Marnie. Thanks very much. (laughs) So having been inspired by the Northern Lights and Polar Nights perhaps, we'd really love to hear your thoughts and feedbacks and any questions that you have about tonight's podcast. Uh, please send us your emails by sending them to podcast at darkskytraveller.com.au. And in the meantime, uh, you would be most welcome to subscribe to our podcast and recommend it to your friends and family. Thanks again, and we look forward to the next Dark Sky Conversations. Mm-hmm.